Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanada and this is Round 15, the Singapore Grand Prix. This was a must-win race for Sebastian Vettel if he wanted to keep his championship hopes alive, but the best he could do was qualify and finish third behind winner Lewis Hamilton. On paper, this should have been a Ferrari track, so how did it all go wrong? To help analyse how Vettel ended up 40 points behind in the championship standings with six races to go, I'm joined by editor of eRacing magazine, Trent Price. Trent, how are you doing? Pretty good. Got to be going better than you. Oh, that's uh, surely that's the minimum I ask for for yeah. my guests, actually. So long yeah. as they're doing better than I am, then that's absolutely fine. Past. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the, the headline issues and then get into, obviously, the strategy detail of this Grand Prix. Sure. Is the season over? Oh, well, it should be, really. <laughs> oh, in, in normal terms, it should be over. Oh. What, what, what are we up to now? Around 15, 15. I think this was. Yeah. yeah they, in, the, in the old language, that's over. In the old money. Yeah, in the old money. That's what she wrote. Yeah. 40 points is where the championship gap is at the moment between Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. This was billed as a must-win Grand Prix for Ferrari, and it was not without yeah. basis that people expected Ferrari to win as well. This is They've yeah. done well over the last couple of years. Um, Sebastian Vettel was, up until Lewis Hamilton won this weekend, mm. the uh, most winningest driver in mm. Singapore. I think that's a phrase you're allowed to use. And uh, Mercedes has typically been a bit of a bogey track for them. Um, mm. I know they had won, I think, three of the last four races off the top of my head, but it was that sort of hid the fact that their form was patchier than that. Uh, it wasn't unfair to assume that Ferrari would do well here. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, the, uh, the, if the ratings aren't up in America right now, <laughs> they should be because they'll be using their, their favourite phrase, he's shat the bed. <laughs> and you've been able to probably wheel that out for the last probably six or more rounds, yeah. really? Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because it's not, it's not what you expect from Sebastian Vettel given how cool, calm and collected he was during the Red Bull years. And it's interesting now that Lewis is quite the reverse. He's uh, seizing every opportunity uh, which he certainly didn't do when he had team uh, Rosberg as his teammate. Mm. He seems to be able to focus on another driver in another team a lot better than his teammate. Mm. And that's something that um, we can compare and contrast, as you said, with Sebastian Vettel, not just in the sense that that used to be a Vettel strength. I know mm. Christian Horner even last year, albeit Sebastian Vettel ultimately ended up losing the championship in the second half of the season, but said, don't underestimate Sebastian Vettel, particularly in the back half of seasons, because yep. that is in his more dominant seasons where he really won it. And mm. there were car elements for that, but beside the point, I think what's really interesting if we compare those years to these for Sebastian Vettel is the fact that and, I, and I'm not the first person to say this has been sort of alluded to before, but the idea that Sebastian Vettel seems to be trying to win this championship from outside the cockpit as much as in it, uh, in the sense that maybe he's trying to compensate a little bit for some of Ferrari's operational shortcomings. Ferrari is only really in its second year of challenging for a title, I guess. And this is a particularly good race to, to think about that because we saw a lot of small operational issues that ultimately ended up in, in a big outcome that was Sebastian Vettel not even being able to finish second, finishing third in this race. Before we talk about some of those in qualifying, practice was where I suppose the weekend really started to go wrong for Vettel and Ferrari. Mm. Uh, he crashed in the one representative session that we have in Singapore. Yeah, yeah, and it, and and a lot of people pointed to that as his state of mind, mm. um, which is, might be pushing a little bit much because if he, if you're going to have an accident, Singapore is one of the places where you can do that because mm -hmm. the the corners just narrow up or the walls close in on you on the exit. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just through pushing, you know. And and if you were to counter that with the move he made on um, uh, on Verstappen early in the race as well, uh, you could say, well, that was a, a dynamic opportunity he, he took. Um, I mean, you can have a million of those incidences during the year 
and maybe get away with it. And then the one where you don't get away with it, everyone mm-hmm. points to it and says, oh, well, that's, that's, that's why he's crumbling. Mm-hmm. I think he's just having a run of bad luck. Yes, he's probably thinking a little bit too much for the team, whether he should be, he should be letting them do that, whereas Lewis is just having to just drive. He's mm-hmm. just simply driving and letting Mercedes make the calls. Where in his previous years, you saw Lewis on the radio where he was losing races like when he lost in Monaco uh, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It was um, because uh, he was overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Which is something that maybe is uh, where Sebastian Vettel is at the moment. Even if that accident wasn't, like you say, uh, pressure building or anything like that, mm. I think we did start to see that in qualifying. Now, there mm. were a whole lot of little issues that Ferrari had to overcome in qualifying. Up until that point, it did seem like they had the pace to be able to, not necessarily walk the race, but mm. to, to perform in the way everyone expected that they would be able to. Uh, I guess it started in Q2. And, I mean, we could talk about this being a... A reasonable gamble, I guess, trying to set a time on the ultra soft tyre, which was the medium compound of tyre here. There was the soft, uh, ultra soft, and then hyper soft. Yeah. Um, but Mercedes tried this in Q1, and this is the reason why I think it might be fair to say it wasn't uh, the best of strategy gambles. And Lewis Hamilton only just made it through. I think the, the line Toto Wolf said is that he got a text from Fred Vassar and saying, what's the difference between an idiot and a genius? Mm. And it was two tenths of a second that Hamilton just scraped through to Q2 in. Mm. Did it seem like a weird decision then that Ferrari would try the same thing in the way more competitive second segment? Well, if you were to look at their practice and how much Ferrari was in front, at that stage, because Mercedes had used the slower tyre, Ferrari would have had no real reason to think that they would have lost so much time because if you look at Red Bull and, and Mercedes, they gained either a second or second and a bit uh, in that session, whereas Ferrari only gained about half a second. Ultimately, when they when they used the right used the right tyres, mm-hmm. um, but also having lost that that time in practice, Vettel was saying, oh, you know, we've got all the data off the other teams, no worries, mm-hmm. we'll know what the tyres are going to do. So probably those two things combined. And I guess the frantic pace of qualifying probably just confounded them a little bit mm-hmm. and gave them a little, little bit of a false sense of security, thinking, no, we should be okay because we're quicker than Mercedes and they just got through. So, yeah, we'll just we'll just chuck one in there and save some for the race. And just, yeah, it didn't work out for them. Plus, also in practice, you have the benefit on the Ferrari of getting the tyres up to temperature. Mm-hmm. We had to be quite aggressive. And, of course, when he got sent out in Q3, he got stuck behind a train of cars and uh, didn't benefit from uh, being able to warm up the tyres whereas the Mercedes you can ease into it Mm -hmm. and get the lap you want yeah and that actually was a particular key point it's something that maybe they could have learned with a couple of maybe they would have learned at the start of Q2 who's to say maybe they would have learned it on uh, Friday evening during Mm. practice but uh, the tyre warm up was a key sensor or a key point of it's seemingly disagreement between Sebastian Vettel and his engineers. Uh, we heard that team radio message in qualifying. Sebastian Vettel was admonishing his engineer, yeah. saying, send me out behind someone that's not Valtteri Bottas because they're going a lot slower than we do on tyre warm-up. Mm. Uh, and tyre warm-up, to be fair to Ferrari, wasn't just afflicting them. Tyre warm-up on the hypersofts in the conditions of Singapore on that particular circuit were proving kind of difficult. And we saw a couple of drivers sort of get caught out about it. I mean, we saw a big gap between Bottas and Hamilton, for example, notwithstanding it was a very good lap from Hamilton. Also, Daniel Ricardo, for example, a big lap between a big gap between mm. him and Verstappen. Ricardo is normally very good around here, so I suppose to be fair to Ferrari, they, it wasn't unusual that they struggled. But you can probably point to, to various factors and preparation being behind. Mm. Oh, absolutely. When you look at how far uh, Daniel was behind uh, his teammate in a car that was basically misfiring mm. in qualifying, and and probably sort of should have got a pole when you think quite easily with a lap that he did in a car that wasn't up to par. 
Mm, which is a really um, you've got to be upset about that as a Red Bull Racing fan yeah. I suppose although it was interesting this is a broader political point that Christian Horner was not so angry about it I do wonder whether or not that means he thinks he would have scored pole or not but was actually still relatively pleased that the, the, this C-spec Renault power unit that Red Bull currently has they knew it was not going to be as reliable as the previous ones in exchange for more power mm. wasn't wasn't so angry about it maybe I guess because second place is, is not bad for Red Bull racing season it's strange because yeah well because I would have thought certainly after the race when um, Verstappen was saying that uh, yeah I didn't I mean I think he was playing a little bit of mind games when mm. he said that I, I didn't go for the pass on Lewis because it wouldn't have been fair because he was stuck in traffic mm-hmm. I don't think that would have gone down well with your boss <laughs> yet yeah he wasn't he wasn't too perturbed yeah it's just something about the the way the season's gone I suppose maybe that I would I would hope to think that uh, Red Bull Racing hasn't lowered its, lowered its sights below victory mm. uh, after only a couple of bad seasons but anyway question for another day uh, qualifying at street circuits often decides the result of the race and I suppose that's part of the reason Sebastian Vettel seemed quite downcast after qualifying third Mm. must be said Sebastian Middle obviously in second Lewis Hamilton on pole position Uh, is another situation I mean you could probably feel it already slipping away from that point but another situation where you've got a little bit of combination of team and driver not nailing it as has been the case so far this season do you think from that point on for Sebastian Vettel or Ferrari for either in particular that's when you start to lose focus a little bit from that point onward or do you feel like that drives them only further to, to do something more interesting in the race uh well it it, it can sometimes it, it can motivate you mm-hmm. um i mean, obviously singapore is the kind of place where if you do get pole it's it's very unlikely you are going to lose the race because mm-hmm. you can control it um but yeah sometimes you if you don't qualify where you want you feel like you can do things which yeah yeah wouldn't normally be on the cards you know unrealistic expectations maybe mm-hmm. um, but uh, as we mentioned before he did pull off a pretty sensational move uh, around Verstappen and that's not a guy who's doing something desperate when we saw what happened to Vettel in, in uh, Monza mm-hmm. you know if that had, if he pulled it off there everyone would have said he's a genius mm-hmm. you know and he sort of did it here yeah, and it was only strategy that really undid it for him. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where we get to this key moment of the race. I mean, qualifying was fifty percent of the work, I suppose, at a street mm. circuit like this. But the other fifty percent happened in that first stint up to that first strategy call. Uh, he did overtake Max Verstappen. Hamilton got a good enough start that uh, it was never really in doubt. He left Vettel and Verstappen to fight amongst themselves, maybe hoping Vettel would uh, trigger a repeat of what happened last mm. year. Didn't happen, thankfully, for uh, at least the race, I suppose. Uh, and it was all about this cat and mouse game because we had this dichotomy of drivers in the first stint because you had those in the top 10 who were forced to start on the hypersoft tyre they'd used in Q2 you also had Toro Rosso starting on hypersoft which we'll talk about later Mm. and how that didn't make any sense and then you had uh, virtually everybody else starting on more durable compounds of tyres most on the ultra soft one or two on the soft tyre the soft Mm. tyre was a fair bit slower though than the others Mm. Uh, and this game of tyre management was really uh, well and truly afoot especially for the top 10 10. Really unusual that we see in Formula One this season the the top six cars in particular not pulling away from the midfield, but that's how extreme it was. Oh, absolutely, and um, I mean made for a very good midfield race mm. uh, up front. You know, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. It was always the oh, you know, they always the commentators always try to drive it up. Oh, this could happen. <laughs> They're closing, but. I mean, you saw what happened with Hamilton when he needed to pull out a gap. Mm. He pulled out two seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew what we, he had pace to burn, but just chose not to do it, mm-hmm. um, quite understandably. Um, but obviously, um, 
yeah, uh, Sainz and um, Alonso benefited massively from just being outside the top 10 mm-hmm. uh, and could, one, utilise the softer tyre by making up positions early. I think they go about two spots each, mm-hmm. which was enough to just get him into a good position. And then by the end of the race, they were on the tyre to be on. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit that midfield battle in a moment. Uh, you sort of say Lewis Hamilton pulled out that gap quite yeah. rapidly. I think he dropped his time by around three seconds a lap just because he could. And that yeah. shows how much management was taking place. It was... Mm really quite a slow first stint and this is where Ferrari had a decision to make because Sebastian Vettel tried to catch up and didn't have the same life left in his hypersoft tyres that Lewis Hamilton did Mm. I guess that's the benefit of Hamilton running on his own in the lead whereas Vettel was trailing by uh, never really more than one and a half seconds so well within that wake Mm. Uh, and Ferrari decided whether or not to try the undercut, um, considering that they knew Vettel would be out of reach, certainly of the undercut before too long, and then what tyre to use. And this was the critical moment of, of Vettel's race, really, as critical mm. as it could be in a, in a one-stop Grand Prix. And they brought him in, and the first um, thing that made this seem like a maybe a questionable call was that they switched to the ultra-soft rather than the soft, I suppose, to give a bit of an undercut advantage. Yes, but then it turned into a bit of an Abu Dhabi 2010, <laughs> again, getting stuck behind Perez. Yeah, exactly yeah. right which was the second questionable part of this call. Um, He didn't pull off the undercut on Hamilton. Truth be told, he was never really close enough. What you're really gambling on in that situation is that you put the other driver under a little bit of a pressure. Uh, Maybe the the pit mechanics make a bit of a mistake in the change and you win a bit of time there. He only gained a couple of tenths. He needed to gain around three seconds by that point. Mm. But he came out of the pits about seven seconds behind Perez, caught up to him by the end of the lap. That was didn't really influence that he didn't catch Hamilton at all, but did influence what Red Bull Racing did next, which which be which was to be terrifically opportunistic with Max Verstappen. Oh yeah, I think it was was it two to three laps he was stuck behind. Yeah, it was Perez. about two and a half, I think. Yeah, which gave yeah gave Max enough time to go in, come out, and just come mm. out side by side mm-hmm. with Vettel. But they crucially have the inside line to turn. Three, I think that's the exit yeah. of turn three. So held his ground, and that was all she wrote. Mm. And it was fair to say as well. We talked about Max Verstappen uh, having engine problems. Mm. He had, I think, was it a misfire or a false neutral leaving the pits as well? Yes. So actually, he would have had a bigger buffer had the engine been playing ball at that point. Yeah, and I think he was he was very concerned certainly um, during the safety car period because at low revs it was mm. cutting out. It just needed to be at high revs. So and what and and Singapore too was where you've got a lot of riding or corners mm-hmm. to try and keep it the revs at a at a high limit. I mean, mm-hmm. in F1 car it sort of stands to reason, but they do rev lower than they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you want to keep it up there. Um, so he would have been very nervous during that period to think, is this thing going to shut down on me? Mm-hmm. So the key question here, I suppose, given that, okay, we well can say he was gambling, attempting to gamble for a lead. It was unlikely given mm. that, I mean, Mercedes and Hamilton are operating at such a high level at the moment um, against the fact that he would have to pass Sergio Perez. Um, he had a significant pace advantage, but of course this is Singapore. That doesn't mm. necessarily count for all that much. Do you think either Ferrari lost track of the broader game here, getting caught behind Perez? Do you think it was a fair gamble to make, or do you think maybe it was worth just waiting a couple of extra laps? It probably would have only taken two to three to pass Perez in the pit stop window and then pit, but maintain second position and not have a crack at the lead. It's hard to say. I mean, we're talking about teams, certainly at that level, which is to have an array of strategists and technicians Mm -hmm. working on these things. But given the position they're in now, 
uh, I, I can't remember what it was before the race. It was just, it's now forty points behind. Mm-hmm. It does it does play on your ability to make calm, rational decisions and look from I guess the parapet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it's a uh, it's a hard one because Mercedes have got that luxury now. Well, they go, oh, if we do this, we do this, it'll be fine. If we mm-hmm. if we lose out, not a problem. But I think they've just got one thing in mind. It's simply we have to beat Lewis, mm-hmm. and he's out front. So you be, you lose that um, objectivity mm-hmm. when you're in that mind frame, and I think that's just driving everything they do. Yeah, and it feels like that's happening maybe a little bit more increasingly because as much as we've seen um, some Ferrari um, operational problems, let's say, over the course of the year, they haven't been that significant. We know we've no. seen Sebastian Vettel occasionally get a little bit angry with them, but mm. for the most part, it's been some driver errors that have really cost Sebastian Vettel points. I think after the mm. Italian Grand Prix, if you added up all of the, the driver errors or the points lost through driver errors, it was something approaching 59 points, if not more, depending on, of course, some of the hypothetical situations you take into consideration. Yeah. But do you yeah. think that the fact that points are, are being lost one way or another is now influencing a team that we know has a bit of a history of making you know some questionable calls from time to time? Yeah, I mean, look at Azbajana. That was that was a move that Vettel didn't mm-hmm. need to make there. He could have just finished where he needed to to get collect the points nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Hockenheim was leading. Yes, it was a little bit damp, but it was pretty much a rookie error, mm-hmm. you know, when you've got that gap in front. So, yeah, it, it, look, he's not one to look backwards, but it's got to be playing on him a bit for sure. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the, the um, after effects of this strategy call as well was that he was left on ultra soft tyres. Didn't ultimately have an effect uh, on his position in the race, because, partly because of traffic, the difficulty of uh, the cars behind him passing traffic. Also because Valtteri Bottas was behind him. He was struggling particularly badly with traffic and with his tyres. Mm. Um, but there was some really extreme management of those ultra softs required. They weren't really a hyper soft, ultra soft, one-stop strategy. That was never really going to work, certainly not on used ultras. And he finished uh, nearly 40 seconds behind um, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton which goes mm. to show you I mean that's not a car that's 40 seconds off the pace no. but that's how slow he had to go just to make it to the end uh, with that strategy obviously a second pit stop would have cost him probably more positions mm. uh, elsewhere on the grid though um, we, let's talk briefly about Daniel Ricciardo actually before we talk about the midfield because he was in the top six he was pretty emotional after qualifying actually because he really thought he was going to do quite well here didn't get it together in qualifying despite topping I think Q1 it was the first segment well there was hardly anything in it in Q1 Mm. Q2 between him and Max Mm -hmm. and then yeah he didn't really have an answer as to why Mm-hmm. What happened? Just this lack of grip that seemed to afflict a couple of other drivers. No one seemed to realise it at the time. Was it a factor of the weather? Was it a factor of just, you know, sometimes tracks get into a particular temperature zone and it doesn't really work with the tyres? It was one of those unusual, mystifying things uh, that no one really had an answer to at the time. Um, but the only way, and he admitted this after qualifying, that he was going to get anywhere, was A, hope that it was going to be a two-stop race in front of him, which it wasn't in the end. Everyone did mm. such a good job managing their tyres or drove so slowly one way or the other. Um, so he tried a different strategy instead, which was to run, uh, obviously, with the Hypersoft, but really eke out um, the amount of time that he was going to use uh, those Hypersoft tyres to 27 laps, which was 30 if he included the qualifying laps as well, and then switch to the Ultrasoft. So he just did manage to make that one-stop Hypersoft, mm. Ultrasoft tyre strategy work. Um, but what was really at play here, not so much the fact it was a one-stop, which wasn't going to go so much, but it was that... Um, Red Bull Racing was counting on the probability of a safety car by trying to let him stay out for as long as possible and hope that he might be able to capitalise on one and get a bit of a free stop. Yeah, and of course it didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as uh, it looked like he was going to be able to put in a an attack towards the end, mm-hmm. 
I don't know, it, it, it looked as though he did run out of grip mm-hmm. or he was starting to plateau a bit. And, and at that stage, um, yeah, Raikkonen and, and Bottas were just, yeah, they, they just managed it. You know, although I found it quite ironic, though, Bottas's comments about having to, you know, he was just getting backed up through the field. Mm-hmm. Certainly after Monza, I thought it was a bit rich. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a good point, actually. You live by the sword. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good point of irony. Um, it was worth noting, actually, with Valtteri Bottas as well. He was a bit unhappy because he was being defended against by, I think it was Sergei Sorokin, wasn't mm. it? He, he was, he yeah. was everyone's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the tail of the donkey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Charlie Whiting, I mean, he was requesting blue flags, essentially, Valtteri Bottas. But Charlie Whiting came afterwards and said, they've got a, a, a limit. Close. You've got to be close too. Yes, you've got to be within 1.2 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and it did get catch out a little bit of uh, a couple of people who were lapping other cars, the fact that they need to get to a certain closeness. But he said, for whatever reason, it was affecting, affecting Valtteri Bottas the most. He was struggling the most to get within that 1.2 second margin consistently mm. uh, enough for Sergei Sorotkin to, to let him through. So that's part of the reason why he wasn't close enough to capitalise on any troubles Vettel might have been having or to put him under pressure towards the end of the race. Mm. Um, but it was also something unique to him for whatever reason so a lot of people having trouble with the tyres in the unique conditions of Singapore uh, but to look at the midfield though we mentioned this earlier to start on the hypersoft tyres was always going to be a little bit of a disadvantage I think after qualifying Fernando Alonso when he qualified 11th and they told him over team radio he said perfect or something like that automatically mm. you think he's being ironic because it's yeah. Fernando Alonso being annoying but it wasn't well yeah and no, it's not really you know he should have learnt you know you don't finish somewhere outside the top 10 go perfect and then remember you're in Singapore and you're Fernando Alonso it's probably you know just keep your light under a bushel just a little <laughs> bit <laughs> yeah exactly right but uh, no, everyone knew exactly how this was going to pan out I suppose for those outs- mm. outside the top 10 we've seen this a couple of times this year actually where having free tyre choice not having to use the softest in the range is a bit of an advantage certainly that's the case with the Hypersoft as it was here as we've already mentioned it was um, Alonso, Sainz and Leclerc who started 11th, 12th and 13th mm. and finished 7th, 8th and 9th jumped all of the midfield yeah. um, in the bottom half of the top 10 notwithstanding the fact that Force India essentially undid themselves Ocon through that crash with Perez teammate friendly fire and then Perez again with a crash with Sorotkin so he was never in with any chance really of recovering positions no and yeah, a bit of a moan of madness but it's yeah it's, it's Perez so it didn't <laughs> qual- qualified you had to qualify that statement yeah um yeah, yeah, uh, unfortunate. Although it's it's funny, actually, after the race, uh, whilst he did get penalised, they didn't think it was overly excessive, mm-hmm. FIA. I mean, yeah. he, mainly because he probably undid himself more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and and at that stage, I mean, Sorokin did some pretty questionable stuff later on in, you know, in terms yeah. of parking his car in, mm-hmm. in front of um, Hartley at the Auckland Milk Bar and just <laughs> going out and getting a you know, bit of <laughs> some lollies. But... Uh, uh, but, but his defence actually against Perez was quite fine. All he mm. did was just keep it nice and tight on the curbs and just mm. straight line it. That's racing. Mm. That's what he's paid. Well, that's what he pays to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, and he was, it must be said, uh, a real uh, roadblock for a lot of people, as we mm. sort of mentioned. Uh, one of them was Romain Grosjean. And I think this is a great comparison. Not Perez, we said, sort of counted himself out uh, a little bit of this equation. But Romain Grosjean and Nico Hulkenberg were two drivers to start in the top 10 on the Hypersoft tyre. Mm. Uh, Hulkenberg started 10th and uh, Grosjean started up in 8th. 
So Grosjean actually started ahead of Hülkenberg, and that's important to, to take note of. He was slower in the race. Yeah. But both sort of got held up a little bit by the Williams cars that were defending so superbly well. So mm. one thing they managed to do really well this year, actually, was build a car that uh, can just sort of hit the apex exactly right, park itself a little bit. Mm. Um, but this was really costly for Grosjean, because whereas Hülkenberg could go up and at least finish 10th, you know, he'd made up enough ground after his relatively early pit stop off the Hypersoft tyres to the point where when Van Dorn and Ericsson did pit, and they were on the Ultrasoft um, strategy at the start, uh, he was able to jump them, but he wasn't able to jump the three you mentioned. Grosjean, on the other hand, was stuck so long behind those Williams cars that he wasn't able to follow Hülkenberg and get that advantage. Mm. And he also had a, a penalty as well to boot, which but that's beside the point. He would have finished still out of the points, but a little bit higher up. Um, but it shows how much that not being able to pass cars in Singapore does play into strategy. It shows how disadvantageous it was in this situation. Yeah, and whether or not he could have actually done anything about it. Um, I mean, you'd probably say Hulkenberg's probably a bit more of a thinker mm-hmm. than Grosjean is. He probably relies on his team a bit too much, um, and, and he has his peaks and troughs. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it just has a compound effect. It's, it's almost like a wet race when you haven't got your tyres up to temperature to get them working and it just gets worse and worse and worse for you. It has that same kind of compound mm-hmm. effect even though it's sort of hot weather. It's just everything just drops, performance drops because you you need to keep your car on the edge, get your tyres in the window. So that's dropping as well mm-hmm. behind those cars. So it's not just being slow, it's then getting back up to speed again once you're ready to – because you're losing probably crucial tenths over a whole lap mm-hmm. and you don't get that backing so you almost lose another lap whilst you're getting back up to speed once you've passed them mm-hmm. in a sense yeah and we saw that I mean Hulk, uh, Grosjean was slower than Hulkenberg for most of the race and he spent a lot of time being stuck behind other people and mm. you do lose lifespan on the tyres when you've sort of degraded them following another car it's yeah one of the you're getting graining things. it washes at the front mm-hmm. and, yeah one of the yeah. things that uh, there was a presentation by Ross Braun over the weekend after a leaked photo from a conference in Singapore it's one of the things they're aiming to do with the new 2021 cars make it easier to follow so this is less of an effect yeah yeah, I mean, they should have done that ages ago. When you think about, it. I mean, we we've seen this with uh, Super Formula in Japan. Mm-hmm. They all went to the same front wing years ago, and they got racing like Formula Ford. Yeah, um, and now, yeah. It's a big miracle they've pulled off in Formula One all of a sudden. Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day, yeah, they'll have realised it and, and we'll get some some solid uh, following racing, even on street circuits. Uh, the last thing we want to mention, though, I think, which is probably the most bizarre part of this race, was the fact that everybody knew the Hypersoft was a, was a poor race tyre. It didn't last long enough. It was very delicate. It had to be in a particular operating temperature window to work at its best. Uh, but Toro Rosso started both its drivers on them nonetheless. None of them qualified in the top 10, so they had the choice to start on these tyres. Uh, and lo and behold, it didn't work at all for them. In fact, at least with uh, Pierre Gasly, he ran until round lap 26 on them. So he got a decent stint out of them, considering that people were expecting them only to last maybe 15 laps. Mm. But Brendan Hartley was stopped on lap 14, which is earlier than anybody else on the Hypersoft tyre. And he ended up being on a two-stop race that got him nowhere. A really weird own goal for Toro Rosso considering yeah okay they weren't super competitive here but should have done better than that with just a standard strategy it, yeah it's almost like a footy team tanking at the end of the year <laughs> or two you know the old uh, what was it hot shots with the two boxers take a <laughs> swing at each other and both fall over uh, no no answer for that absolutely mm. none yeah. uh, what can you say uh, maybe they just thought just simply being contrary might mm-hmm. get us somewhere uh 
because everyone else is on, you know, pretty much doing the same thing, there might be a window that opens up for us somewhere mm-hmm. along the way. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I'm not part of those debris. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. a difficult thing to answer. They they really didn't mention it too much. I know Pierre Gasly mentioned that his strategy was not perfect, and so did Brendan Hartley, particularly because he yeah, stopped so not early. Not perfect. It's like being in a tidal wave and saying you're experiencing a bit of moisture. <laughs> not perfect. Yeah. So a questionable strategy from them. Uh, they of course scored no points. Uh, in this race they would have been disappointed to given that with the Honda power unit that's not as bad as of course it was street circuits are the ones where you think that they would be scoring relatively well mm. but Gazza did quite well in Monaco for example yeah yeah, yeah. You would have thought this would have been a similar situation, but alas, it was not for Toro Rosso. There's a lot of things you really would have thought that would have happened in this race that didn't end up happening. You would have thought maybe Ferrari would have done better than they did, that Sebastian Vettel might have scored pole position and won this Grand Prix and closed his gap to Lewis Hamilton the championship. None of those things happened. In fact, we leave this race with Lewis Hamilton with a commanding 40-point advantage over Sebastian Vettel. We say 40 points, but then people have come back from more than that only only just with six only, races to go only to just go, with yeah. six races to go yeah it's yeah. um it's getting to the point now I mean, if we want to talk permutations uh, as a final point uh, for this week's show uh, Lewis Hamilton only needs to win three more and finish third and he'll do the championship uh, he only needs to win one more and he can finish second for the rest of the season and win the championship Sebastian Vettel on the other hand has to win every race to guarantee that it's within his own hands and he doesn't have to rely on other results well this is an interesting one because we if there's one thing we know about at Hamilton, and this will be, I guess, the uh, the trick if he is actually upped his game or become a more complete driver. I mean, mm-hmm. that sounds funny talking about Lewis Hamilton, but mm-hmm. like I said, his level he's still building on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen where he gets too comfortable. That's where he starts dropping off a little bit. He needs that mm-hmm. pressure. He operates extraordinarily well under pressure, mm-hmm. but then when it's not there, as we've seen in the past, he just mm-hmm. yeah, he falls away. And this could be where Bodas starts pulling pulling his stuff together so who knows Mm -hmm. it will be interesting to see how these final chapters of the 2018 season do play out the championship's coming one way or another it's just probably a question of how soon it ends up and look maybe do we get the the greatest comeback in in Formula 1 history at least in recent years through Sebastian Vettel it'll be worth finding out I, I think, think it's time for a soundbite. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Trent Price, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and talk about the Singapore Grand Prix. Pleasure. That was the editor of e-racing magazine, Trent Price. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can get every episode by subscribing on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts or on your favourite podcasting app. And you can leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name is Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for an analysis of the Russian Grand Prix.